How will the Falcons balance their two-headed backfield with Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier this year? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen each and every day. Shout out to the everydayers that check us out. And if you want to become an everyday or follow in their footsteps by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today's episode, we are continuing our pre-training camp positional previews going through each position group. And today we're talking about the running back position and we'll be talking about, you know, locked on fullbacks towards the end of the show. You know, we got to do it. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, several of the players on the Falcons roster, but mostly we'll be focused on, you know, the potential of this team having a two headed or maybe even a three headed or two and a half headed backfield and how that's going to form the foundation of this Falcons offense. And that's going to be their identity. A lot of talk over the last six months about being more balanced. And we'll talk about why I don't necessarily think the Falcons will be significantly more balanced than they were a year ago. But starting out the conversation. You know, I think it's going to be a question of how do the Falcons balance their sort of primarily a two-headed backfield with Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier. And I know there's been a lot of talk from some folks after the draft that, you know, it's it's got to be the Bijan Robinson show and because he's better than Tyler Algier or as a way to sort of justify the pick. I don't put a, a whole lot of stock in that. I, I think the Falcons, for obvious reasons, aren't going to necessarily – decide, you know, come out of the gates this year and asking B. John Robinson to be their workhorse running back, at least in year one, uh, you know, of course, barring injuries and all that sort of stuff. But I think that's more something that may or may not develop. We'll see, you know, in the future down the road uh, of Bijan being this guy that gets, you know, 270, 300 or more sort of carries. But part of the reason why I think we're going to see, you know, a spread of the touches amongst several runners, uh, including Bijan and Tyler Algier and Corey, uh, Cordero Patterson is because you go back to last year when the Falcons had three healthy running backs and there was only really a five week stretch where the Falcons had three healthy running backs that they were comfortable with, you know, spearheading the offense, right? Because the first month of the season, it was primarily the Cordero Patterson show. Tyler Algier and, and Caleb Huntley were in the mix, but weren't necessarily a featured part of the offense. Then CP got hurt in October and it became Huntley and, and uh, Algiers kind of splitting carries. And then it started in that week nine game against the Chargers and then ran through the Steeler game leading up to the bye week because after the bye week, Caleb Huntley got hurt in that Saints game. Um, and so it was like a five week span from week nine to week 13 where the Falcons had roughly a three headed backfield, right? They ran the ball 150 times across those five games, so 30 per game. And about 96% of those carries went to four players, right? Including the three running backs, Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley, and of course, Marcus Mariota in the mix. And you look at the breakdown of, you know, the percentage of, of carries that they got out of those 150 carries. Cordero Patterson led the team with 33%. Algier was right behind him with 31%. Uh, Mariota was at 20%. And Huntley was at 
And I'm imagining a similar sort of breakdown this year, right? Where this year I will sub in Bijan for Cordero Patterson as a 33%. We'll keep Algier at that uh, 31%, you know, because the expectation is that we won't have as much designed run out of Desmond Ritter as we did with Marcus Mariota, that number drops from like say 20% to 15%. I don't think it's going to be a massive drop off because I think Ritter is still going to get opportunities to scramble here or there, even if they dial back on the design run plays. Uh, and then you know, that sort of 5% difference between what uh, Mariota and Ritter does. Okay. That's 5% that you can now add to CPs or from last year, Caleb Huntley. So that number goes from 12 to 17%, which is what I'm sort of expecting uh, Cordero Patterson to have in terms of this year. And of course, there's a lot of factors that are unknown injuries and whatnot that will, you know, who's got the hot hand if someone, you know, their first two carries go for 54 yards and another guy's first two carries go for seven yards. I think they're going to ride the guy that, you know, got the 54 yards on those opening carries. So it's a lot of variables that are unknown. So you can massage the percentage points a lot, but again, this is not necessarily setting up to, you know, B. John Robinson having this monster year where I've seen people projecting him to have like, you know, 1,200 yards or 1,500 yards rushing this year. I think Bijan is probably going to probably top out at around 200 carries again, um, you know, if I'm assuming that this workload uh, extends for the entire 17-game season, like, you know, somewhere in that 170, 180, 190, possibly, you know, barely breaking 200. And, you know, that's going to be a player that probably will probably finish with roughly around 900 or so yards rather than these like 1400 yard seasons that I think a lot of people are projecting. I just don't see that type of workload from him because I see the Falcons wanting to have both Algier and Robinson involved in the offense. Now, I think the way that Bijan can add extra value to the offense is what he brings to the table in the passing game. And I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see him and Algier and how they're utilized when it comes to passing downs. And We've talked about this uh, many times before on this podcast where, you know, your playing time as a running back is not necessarily determined by your skill as a runner, but it's often determined by your ability as a pass protector. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, even though we'll talk about why the Falcons may not necessarily be in this boat, but a large percentage of your plays as a running back are going to be, if not you know, for most teams, it's the majority, but maybe not necessarily the Falcons, but we'll talk about that later. But for a lot of teams, the majority of your place as a running back is going to be passing downs. And so if you do not add value as a pass protector or a pass catcher, you're going to you're going to struggle to see the field. And right. And you saw this reflected last year with Kayla Huntley, where when Kayla Huntley was in the game, it was almost exclusively the Falcons running the football. Now, Algier showed really good ability as a pass protector. Now, I thought Bijan Robinson did really good in, in college at Texas. And frankly, if I'm judging Bijan at Texas versus Algier at BYU, I think Bijan grades out as a better college pass protector. But I think it's going to be a, kind of a similar dynamic between him and Algier, as you kind of saw in Alvin Kamara's rookie season with Mark Ingram. Or Mark Ingram was the primary pass protecting running back in the backfield. And Algier, when he got on the field, on, or when Kamara got on the field in passing downs, he almost always was as a receiver. And I could see the Falcons doing the same. If Algier uh, continues to where he picks up all, well, you'll see him in the backfield being that guy that is part of those six and seven man protections for the quarterback. Meanwhile, while Bijan is going to be releasing out into the route moving forward. Now, I think the issue that the Falcons are going to have to deal with this upcoming season is do they become very predictable with based off of what personnel grouping is out there? And I think the goal, of course, is to be very unpredictable. This was something that I thought the Falcons in 2016 did an excellent job of doing that season where it was basically whether it was Freeman or Coleman in the game, the Falcons 
offense was pretty much interchangeable. Kyle Shanahan basically called the same plays regardless of who was in the game. And I think that's the goal that the Falcons want to do. Um, but obviously there isn't quite the same level of overlap between, you know, Bijan and, and Algiers' skill set as there was with Freeman and, and Coleman's skill set. Although, again, you know, they're not that far apart, right? You know, I think Algier can do some things in the passing game, maybe not be as dynamic in the passing game as, as Bijan is, but he can certainly, we saw him lining up all over the place last year. We'll see more of that moving forward. But I think it's important that the Falcons, you know, do not become predictable in their, in their rushing offense based off of who's on the field because the running offense is going to be the foundation, is going to be the identity of this football team. And we'll break that down more on today's episode, but we'll also talk about, you know, this team's willingness to be more balanced this year. And I kind of think that's a lot of BS, right? And I'll break down exactly why I don't think the Falcons are going to be significantly more balanced this year than they have been uh, this past year when it comes to running the football. And we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor, FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And of course, FanDuel is a great time to take advantage of FanDuel because baseball season is in full swing and you get a no sweat first bet with new customers. That's uh, no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That means you get $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. So you really can't lose. And whether you want to bet on baseball, whether you want to bet on the upcoming NBA season, John Collins just got traded from the Atlanta Hawks. So maybe that changes what people's perception of that team is. Of course, we're talking about the running back position. Of course, you know, despite my saying, hey, Bijan's not going to get a ton of carries this year, he still might get a lot of uh, impact in the passing game. And that may help or hurt him in the offensive rookie of the year odds. So go to check out FanDuel to vote on that. And of course, you can just visit FanDuel.com uh, slash locked on. And you'll get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Fanduel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. So, as we continue today's locked on Falcons, guys, let's talk about why the running game and why this running back position is so important. It is because it is the foundation of the Falcons offense, it is the identity of the Falcons offense. And there's been a lot of talk over the last six months of the Falcons being more balanced. We talked all last year about evolving the offense to be so not as run centric as you know they were at various points last year. That's due to the fact that the Falcons led the NFL last year. In rushing attempts with 559, one more than the Chicago Bears. They were second behind the Bears in terms of percentage of overall plays that were run plays, 55% for the Falcons, 56% for the Bears. And I sit here and I say, yes, I do think the Falcons will be more balanced. Let me say that first and foremost. But being more balanced than last year's offense could mean, you know, running the ball 540 times instead of 560 or running the ball on 51% of plays instead of 55% of the plays. And while that is more balanced than what they were a year ago, that is still not what I think most people consider to be a balanced offense relative to what most teams in the league, right? Even if the Falcons say we're perfectly 50-50 in terms of passing and running, and that may be what the Falcons' goal is to be, you know, the, the league average in terms of running versus passing is the average NFL team runs the ball about 42% of the time. So 50% run is still way more than the average NFL team. And so frankly, if you ran up to me and said, hey, I'm from the future, Aaron, and the Falcons finish this year with less than 500 rushing attempts combined for their team, or they run the ball on less than 48% of their offensive plays, 
I would sit here and probably say something has horribly gone wrong for this football team because it basically meant that they abandoned their identity. And not to mention, if you are like me and you think the Falcons are going to be good this year and you know potentially win double-digit games and make the playoffs this year, you probably think they're going to lean heavily on the running game because what we know about the NFL is when you're up on the scoreboard, you tend to run the ball more. And when you're behind the scoreboard, you tend to throw the ball more. And so that's what I mean where I say something has gone horribly wrong. If the Falcons are throwing the ball a ton this year, right? That means that the Falcons are, you know, something has gone wrong and that the Falcons are playing far too often from behind in some of these games. And so we sit here and we know that if it's 23 to 17 in the fourth quarter, Arthur Smith is going to pound the ball down an opposing team's throat. That is exactly the type of team that he wants to be. It's just basically just, you know, pound them into the earth. And you know, I know a lot of people sit here and say, well, we, we were so unbalanced last year because of Arthur Smith trying to mask the limitations of our quarterback and Marcus Mariota. And certainly that was a part of it. There were certainly certainly games where <laughs> the Falcons were clearly, you know, steering away from Marcus Mariota having to throw the football. But that didn't really change all that much, you know, once Desmond Ritter uh, started the games. Like, you know, a big reason why the Falcons threw the ball more is when Desmond Ritter started because they were playing from behind in, in several of those games. But one of the stats that I think sh illustrates that the Falcons identity is wrapped up in running the football is if you look at the percentage of run of plays on third and four or less that are run plays, the Falcons finished third in the NFL with the highest percentage, 67% of their uh, plays that were on third and four or less, right? Third and three, third and two, et cetera, right? were run plays. And that was behind Baltimore, who led the league with 76%. Philadelphia was like 68%. Chicago was like 66% right behind the Falcons. And you would look at those four teams and say, oh, well, all those teams had a running quarterback. And that was a reason why those teams were as willing to run the ball in situations that normal NFL teams are throwing the football because there was only a handful of teams beyond the Falcons, those four teams that you know ran the ball on 50% or more of their plays. But what's interesting about that is if you look at the final four games, and look at the Falcons' run percentage on third and four or less, under Desmond Ritter, it was 78%, right, over those final four games. And so, to me, that clearly is an indicator. That, like, the, the Falcons' identity is, is based off of running the football. This is who they are. This is their identity. And, you know, I know there's been a lot of criticism from certain segments of the fan base of, like, you know, they don't really love this run-first, run-centric offense for whatever reasons. And there's certainly reasons why you may not be the biggest fan of that. And, you know, certainly I could probably come up with a plethora of reasons why in a, you know, perfect – ideal scenario that would not be the type of offense that I would prefer my favorite football team to run but I sit here and I say I don't ultimately at the end of the day it's not about me you know I don't care what your identity is on offense if you want to throw the ball 700 times in a season be my guest you want to run the ball 600 times in a season be my guest you want to play you know a, a super aggressive style of defense be my guest you want to play super conservative be I don't care I don't care what your scheme is I don't care what your identity is all I care about as a fan of this football team or a fan of any football team is you be the best version of that team. If you want to run the ball 600 times a season, let's run the ball 600 times a season and let's break every record on the planet about a football and a professional football team running the football, right? If you want to throw the ball 750 times then do that and let's break every record. Let's have, you know, a, let's get the first 6,000 yard quarterback in NFL history. If that's what we're going to do. I don't care. It's not about me guys. And like, that's my sort of bone of contention with stuff. And you know, I thought another interesting nugget that I, I noticed when I 
was looking up all these numbers and whatnot with the Falcons. And I think the Falcons, this may in indicate that the Falcons are part of the vanguard of a changing era of football, which is why they're leaning so heavily on the running game. Because I looked at last season, and last year was the first time, and I look back over 30 years, uh, last year was the first time we had 10 teams in the NFL that each had a combined 500 or more rushing attempts, right? Now, no other, there's a couple of seasons where there was like eight or nine teams, but no other season in the last 30 years where there were been 10 teams. Now, I realized after that, I was like, okay, that's probably has to do with the fact that we're playing an extra game. And so 500 carries over 17 games is roughly the equivalent of 470 carries over 16 games. And so I lowered the threshold. And all of a sudden, the last time we had 10 teams with 470 or more carries in the same season, that was 2012. And prior to that, it was 2006. Now, Prior to 2006, this was a much more common phenomenon where being a top 10 rushing team, at least in terms of, you know, rushing attempts meant that you were getting, you know, 400, 470 plus carries. That was much more common. And to me, 05, 06 is right around the time for me personally that I think was kind of transition from a quote unquote run first league to a passing league. Right. Because 05, Sean Alexander won the MVP. 06, LaDainian Tomlinson won the MVP. And ever since then. Right. Tom Brady had that incredible 07 season. Um, but ever since then, you know, with one or two accessions, MVP has been a quarterback driven award. And prior to that, it really wasn't. And part of me wonders, and we've talked about this before when we talk about defensive schemes and the Fangio defense and playing with lighter boxes and playing with two high safeties. These defenses that are now more in vogue than, say, what they were in the previous decade when it was the Seahawks style cover three. Right. The main difference between these sort of split safety two high coverages now that teams are using on early downs is that they have one less defender in the box. So therefore, theoretically, it's easier to run the ball against teams nowadays than it used to be when everybody was trying to basically be the Seahawks. Right. And so part of me wonders, and I think I talked about this on yesterday's episode. I, I can't always remember everything I mentioned on the on the podcast, but I talked about kind of, you know, we may be entering exiting a golden era of quarterback play and maybe entering another era, maybe a silver era, let's say of where we don't necessarily have the same level of quality of quarterback play over the next decade as we've had over the last decade. And I wonder if these two things are sort of tied together. Basically the league is moving back. I'm just wondering, are we going to go back to the time where it was in the late nineties and the early two thousands where you could go and win a super bowl with a Trent Dilfer, with a Brad Johnson, with a Chris Chandler type of quarterback, because teams, back then were so reliant on their running games to sort of facilitate their offense. Um, and I wonder if we're go heading more towards that again, I don't know. We'll see. I, you know, I still feel like having a Patrick, Mahomes, you know, Patrick Mahomes is, is going to be that, you know, that outlier or whatever the case, but um, it's just, it's an interesting sort of thought experience. So that'd be something to, to consider in the future. And so I wonder if the Falcons are going to be at this vanguard of a sort of changing culture or whatever you want to say where you're going to have more teams that are going to be much more committed to running the football as a way to facilitate their offense because in part due to the fact that they don't necessarily have the elite quarterback right um 
And I wonder if that's going to be the case moving forward. So that will be something to keep an eye on. But we will leave the running back conversation aside and get into locked on fullbacks. We'll also touch upon the issues involving Caleb Huntley and Avery Williams' his injuries at this position. So we'll get into that to wrap up today's locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug tomorrow's episode for the everydayers out there. We will be breaking down the wide receiver position. We'll talk about how Drake London has the potential to continue the legacy of number one wide receivers here in Atlanta that started with Roddy White and has continued with Julio Jones over the last 15 years since the league has been this sort of passing league. And we'll see if Drake London can, uh, you know, continue that legacy as we wrap up uh, today's Lockdown Falcons. So wrapping up today's episode, talking about the running back position, you know, the injury, season-ending injury to Avery Williams, torn ACL, suffered uh, this past month uh, in OTAs and minicamps you know, does potentially open up the door for a fourth running back to make it. But as I suggested earlier on uh, today's episode, like, you know, if we're looking at the breakdown of how quick carries are divvied up, that fourth running back's only going to really maybe get the majority of the remaining 4% of, of running plays. Like you're not going to see a large percentage of, of carries for that fourth running back, assuming that the top three guys are, you know, healthy and, and able to play. And so therefore that's why Avery Williams was kind of the perfect guy for that because his role on Sundays is primarily on special teams, not necessarily on offense. Um, and so I think even if the Falcons do decide to keep a fourth running back, that player is going to have to carve out a role on special teams. And, you know, I don't know whether that's Caleb Huntley or Carlos Washington, if either one of those guys is ideally suited to do so, we'll sort of have to see, you know, with Huntley and we'll touch upon this, you know, more in more detail when we get to late July and the Falcons have to make a decision to put him on the PUP or the pup list uh, at the start of training camp coming off that Achilles tear that he suffered last year against the saints. Um, but my expectation, and I've said this a number of times now all off season long is I expect the Falcons do to put, Huntley on the pup list and what that will essentially do. It's not exactly the same as the IR, but it's very similar to basically putting him on IR for the first half of the season. And then in the event of an emergency, if the Falcons need to, you know, bring him back to their 53 man roster in the second half of the season due to injuries or, so, or whatnot, will we could see Caleb Huntley uh, get activated off of that pup list uh, in the second half of the season. But more than likely, I think it makes sense. Obviously we'll see what variables change uh this but uh and we'll see what Huntley's health is at the beginning of, of training camp but I feel like the Falcons it would be smart for them to kind of stash Huntley on IR or the pup list for the entire year because we know with the Achilles tears those tend to affect running backs in a major way we've seen that with guys like James Robinson Marlon Mack Deontay Foreman Cam Akers that it does seem like it takes the better part of two or three years after they suffered that injury for them to start to return to their pre-injury form and so Getting that, getting one out of those, you know, recovery years uh, out of the way by stashing Cuntley on on IR to the pup list for the entire season to me makes a lot of sense. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. Obviously, we'll give a further update in late July when the Falcons have to sort of make their decision on what they're going to do with Huntley at the beginning of training camp. But let's wrap up today's episode talking locked on Falcons. And if you listen to this podcast at the end of the season. Uh, you heard me sort of skeptical of whether or not the Falcons would bring back Keith Smith. And they did ultimately decide to bring back Keith Smith. They guaranteed a significant chunk of his contract. So he's almost certainly not going to get cut unless, you know, something crazy happens. But part of the reason why I thought the Falcons would move on from Keith Smith is because it did seem like the Falcons were moving in a direction of wanting more of a sort of hybrid 
fullback, H-back, tight end type of player to play this role so that the Falcons, when they run their various personnel sets, can sort of slide that guy in line and whatnot. They kind of use Keith Smith as an inline guy a little bit early in the season. It didn't really take for him, and they sort of moved him back to being almost exclusively, uh, you know, lining up in the backfield. But I thought Parker Hesse did a great job last year as a lead blocker, even better than what Keith Smith did. But to me, it's understandable why the Falcons brought back Keith Smith, because he's a known commodity. Um, and I think until the Falcons have another option, you know, beyond Parker Hesse, I think the Falcons will continue to ride with Keith Smith this year. And I think that's going to be what's interesting to watch later this summer. Right. You know, I'm invested in locked on fullbacks here on this podcast. But, um, you know, keeping an eye on a player like a Clint Rakovich, who, who um, was on the practice squad at the end of last year. Rakovich is in- interesting because he dabbled as a tight end at Western Illinois before he transferred to Northern Illinois. So he has that sort of hybrid potential skill set you know the backup fullback on the practice squad the last two years prior to the team picking up Rakovich was John Rainey who was a tight end at Northwestern um you obviously have a player like John Fitzpatrick who the Falcons drafted in round six last year and was hurt last year and and looked like a really good H-back at Georgia right uh and then you know Felipe Franks we'll we'll mention Felipe Franks for the second time in a row uh, uh, on the podcast, you know, that may be a path for him if he can show a little bit more versatility. Uh, so keeping an eye on those four guys, right. I think is going to be something, uh, or those three guys plus Hesse is going to be notable to keep an eye on this summer, because I think the plan would be right. The, the ideal plan would be you have Keith Smith, you know, locking that spot down. You stash a guy like Rakovich on the practice squad. And hopefully when Keith Smith, you know, is a free agent next year, turns 32 next off season, you might, that may be the time to, to move on. And then you, you plug in a guy like Rakovich, who probably is a much more athletic uh, player than Keith Smith um, at that position. Or you could, you know, this year is a year to get Fitzpatrick's feet wet. And then maybe he's the long-term answer at that position. So I think that's kind of the direction the Falcons are moving for. And it just, we'll just have to keep an eye on, you know, if one of these guys, Rakovich, Fitzpatrick, uh, especially sort of emerge and say, okay, that guy is the heir apparent to Keith Smith at this fullback position uh, where we'll, we'll just sort of see. So that will be something to keep an eye on. You know, you know me, I'm always focused on the fullback position, but we'll, we'll see how that develops for the Falcons uh, moving forward. But I think obviously, as I've mentioned, the running back position is, is such a core part of the Falcons offense. Like everything they want to do offensively kind of revolves around this position group, whether it's a fullback, an H-back, you know, running backs and two-headed backfield. And so hopefully we will see this unit blossom, you know, this season. Um, I'll be interested to see how they divvy up the carries. We know CP is not going to get any work in the, in the preseason, right? I'll be curious to see how the Falcons, you know, if Arthur Smith goes back to his old ways of being like, hey, we want to protect Bijan and don't want to risk injury. So he'll get a couple of snaps. And, and then, of course, Algier is so valuable. So we might see a ton of Carlos Washington this summer. That <laughs> We might see him getting like all the carries. And so that will be an opportunity for Carlos Washington, the undrafted free agent that the Falcons have in, in camp, you know, to really, you know, make his name known uh, and, and potentially, you know, maybe, you know, play so well that he, he forces his way onto the roster as an RB4. So that is going to be also something worth keeping an eye on. But of course, that's going to do it for us here at the running back position. Tomorrow we'll be talking all about the wide receivers. And of course, yes, that will be another opportunity for me to mention Corey Davis on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. But that's in store for you on tomorrow's episode. Continue to make us your first listen uh, each and every day. 
on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for your second listen, check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get the lowdown on the other 31 NFL teams. And of course, make sure you check out the Locked On Hawks podcast. You know, the Hawks are moving guys. They're finally traded John Collins. So get Brad Rowland, the host of Locked On Hawks' breakdown on that on Locked On Hawks. Of course, uh, Locked On Sports Atlanta, ATL Day Ones, hitting hard. We'll definitely be covering that. You know, you know, John Chuckery, uh, Jarvis Davis, Tanisha Batiste are, are definitely plugged in on the Hawks side of things. So continue to check that out, guys, on uh, your preferred podcast platform.